It's uh, very good to welcome you all to the retreat. Um, my name is Jake and this is Paul. And uh, we'll be here to do the best we can to support you and to help you and encourage you during this weekend. As we uh, start a retreat like this, it's always helpful, I feel, to just reflect a little bit about the purpose of uh, these kind of courses, these kind of weekends. Um, you know, why are we doing it? Why are we come here to do this kind of thing? And really, um, there are probably, on one level, as many reasons as there are people in the room. I mean, all kinds of different things on a personal level may have uh, brought us here. But more collectively, there's a sense that we recognize that there are times in our life uh, where we get stuck. There are places we get stuck. There are times when we're confused and things feel difficult. We feel uh, somehow bound down by life. Things feel tough. And we're interested in uh, the possibility of exploring a freedom from that. What would it be like to, um, to really explore life, to look deeply into our hearts, to look deeply into our minds, and to understand this process where we get stuck, where it hurts, where we kind of rub up against life, and how we can live with more freedom and uh, live in a more kind way, a more compassionate way. So this kind of... Uh, ethos, his purpose, really lies behind all of the different things that we'll be doing over the weekend. And I really hope it's uh, you know, a fruitful time for all of us, really, a fruitful time for all of us. It may not always be an easy time. Uh, it takes a certain courage to come into this kind of situation. Um, but certainly that's uh, a wish as we begin this this retreat together. So we're coming into a, a different kind of environment than the one that most of us are spending most of our lives in. And it's quite a different place, different norms, different culture, if you like, different uh, ways of being. And it's just worth thinking about that as we make that transition into the retreat. And one of the things that's very clearly different here is this uh, silence, the silence, the noble silence that we observe while we're on retreat. And uh, I think it's helpful right from the start to separate that from some more difficult associations we may have with silence. You may have had awkward silences at family meals or the silences where things really need to be said but they're not being said. Well, um, so silence can mean all kinds of things. Or we may have been told, you know, be quiet, shut up, <laughs> all that kind of thing in, in our life. So this really, and I hope, I hope this, is, this is clear, this is a very, very different kind of silence to that. Silence is a, is a gift, it's an invitation to look more deeply, yeah, to look more deeply. So the silence brings with it what I may call a, a kind of spirit of inwardness. And uh, usually in our lives we're very much engaged with you know, other people, what they think, what they feel, uh, their opinions about us, our opinions about them. We're very busy, leading very full lives, most of us these days. And that 
kind of spirit of inwardness, that looking within, seeing what's happening in our own hearts and minds, can get obscured. So this silence is a real, a real gift and offers, and offers the opportunity uh, to bring forth that kind of spirit of just looking within. So it's a time when we can really listen deeply to ourselves. Really listen deeply. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where somebody, you haven't seen them for a while, and they say, how are you? And you don't really know. <laughs> you're not really sure how you are. You know, you're not quite, not quite aware of what's happening. And in a way, this, this silence gives us a chance to really feel, how am I? How, what's happening? What's going on? To listen really deeply. And when we feel into it, when we begin to really appreciate it, um, the silence can have quite a refreshing quality to it, really. It's something quite rejuvenating. uh, At times, I say, it's like giving the mind a bath. Giving the mind a bath. You know, obviously we look after our bodies, we take care of our bodily hygiene in that way. And taking time to be still, taking time to be silent, taking time to practice this way, it's so refreshing for the mind. So refreshing. Silence too is a kind of space, really. A kind of space. One of the things we can begin to touch into in meditation is a sense of, of spaciousness, of a vast open space. So as I was saying earlier, we can have all kinds of things buzzing through our minds. We think different things, we feel different things, different moods are coming and going. All of these things are happening. Start planning something or imagining or worrying about something, remembering something. But we can also get this feeling that it's all happening in a bigger space. And that can be a very liberating sense when we begin to feel that. So silence to me is this sense of spaciousness. There are these sounds, these things coming and going, but it's happening, it's held within this space of silence. There's a feeling that there's, a, there's enough room for it all, there's enough space for it all. These things can come and go, but they don't have to rule us, they don't have to govern us so much. And uh, silence too very much is uh, is our teacher really here. Um, I mean, to me, this is a, a very special place. It's a wonderful, beautiful place. And uh, before it was a retreat center, it used to be a convent. And so it's just you know a long time, decades and decades of spiritual practice here. And just being in this place, we can begin to. Uh, just feel that sense of being encouraged to look more deeply at our own lives. So, you know, in one sense, Paul and I are teaching here, but I really feel that this practice is very much um, an experiential form of learning, and the silence really opens it up. It's not the kind of learning you can get from a book. It's not a bit of information. 
It's not kind of, you know, these are the things, these are the facts, and then you can kind of read about them and take them home on a photocopy. It doesn't really work like that. So the real learning is this experiential learning, and the silence is what helps us to go deeper into that. It really helps support our practice. So as well as the, the silence, the um, retreat environment is an invitation to live with greater simplicity. And it's really very, very simple, your time here. Um, there will be uh, a schedule up when you, when you uh, leave the hall tonight. I'll be saying what we're doing tomorrow, but it's really quite simple. A time to come and do some sitting meditation, time to do walking meditation, time to eat Time to listen to a talk. More sitting, more walking. It's very, very simple. Um, I don't know if they still got it, but it used to be on front of the Guy House program. It said to-do list, you know, things to do, inhale and exhale. <laughs> so we're really, really um, kind of bearing, putting life down to its bare essentials here. Bare essentials. And again, that's, that's like a, a mirror, really. It's a mirror. You can see what's happening uh, in our own minds by making things so simple. So there's less tendency to think all this stuff going on is because of all these things happening outside us. Because very little is happening outside us when we're on retreat. So we really begin to see our own processes, what's happening. So it helps to to slow down. Um, And you can just, as you're going about the, the house, just... Perhaps be just that little bit slower than you usually would. Um, We can see the whole of your time here, the whole of our time here is a time of practice. So we're not really dividing it into the bit that matters and the bit that doesn't matter. So if I'm in a bit that doesn't matter, I've got to rush to get to the bit that matters. (laughs) Which is uh, a kind of in order to mentality we can carry around. So we can slow down, we can slow down. So when we finish a session of meditation, we can walk slowly to the walking. We can walk slowly back from the walking. We can walk slowly as we uh, go to get our food. Again, as part of this uh, simplicity, it's really helpful um, to you know, observe some of the kind of etiquette of a retreat, which is, involves not using uh, mobile phones. Um, so if you brought a phone, then please please leave it turned off uh, during the time of the retreat. It really helps with the silence, really helps with that uh, kind of simplicity, that being here. Um, if there's any anybody who needed to, any sort of last-minute business or something that you do need to do tonight, it's really helpful to, to finish that today. And there is a, a payphone you can use if there's something absolutely... Uh, urgent that you need to do but otherwise really just putting that aside and really helping us to to be here more fully and so too with uh, reading and writing so you're encouraged to uh, to put aside those things while you're here um, I mean I love reading I love books we've got nothing against books or anything like that and books can be so enriching and helpful in our lives. But again, if we're going to engage with this experiential learning, 
staying with what's here, staying with our own process, staying with our own experience. It really helps to, to put those things aside just for this weekend. coming on retreat, particularly uh, for the first time, and many people here are coming for the first time, um, it can be a daunting experience, it can be something that brings up a certain amount of fear, or is this going to be okay? Um, so just to reassure you that we are here, if you do need to, to talk to somebody, if things really feel too, too much on top of you, um, and you need to share, we need some, some ideas to share your experience, please uh, put a note on the, the board outside and we can respond to that and we can see you. Um, and there'll also be time for a meeting as on a one-to-one basis or in groups or question and answer sessions perhaps too. Um, so there is support available here. So on, one, on the one hand I talk about the spirit of inwardness but please don't feel you're on your own. Okay. Please don't feel you on your own. One of the things to find on retreat as well is what we might call a wise effort. And uh, you know, if you use the analogy of a kind of string on the violin, it needs to be not too loose, but not too taut either. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Know your own body is really one helpful thing as part of this. So please don't struggle and struggle and struggle sitting on the floor um, if it's just sitting after sitting of just excruciating pain. Please use the chairs. I'm very pleased to see so many people on chairs. It's really good. There's no no particular advantage to sitting on the floor. We'll talk more about uh, posture tomorrow. But the main thing is if you're having a stable base, having the, the spine that's upright, that's the key thing. So you can do that in a chair. So please know your own body. Um, and again, you know, for, for different reasons, you know, whatever, whatever your requirements are, please be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself with your body. So too, the other side of that, the not letting things be too loose, um, it really helps to to try to be still in meditation, have this intention to be still, and particularly not to, not to move with the first impulse. So you can have, you might be sitting there and you might immediately have this impulse to do something else, do this, do that. So it's quite helpful just to be aware of that, to watch those kind of impulses come and go. So we're not you know, shifting around too much or shuffling around too much. So there's that stillness, there's that intention to be still and present and also that kind of common sense and kindness for your own body and doing what your body needs. The other context to the retreat that's really important to mention right at the beginning is this context of ethics. And if you are familiar with the uh, kind of overall scheme of this practice, um, the path, the path to liberation, the path to awakening is often spoken of, spoken of in terms of ethics and meditation and wisdom. 
So living with a kind of integrity, cultivating a calm and wise understanding, these three things really work together and work very closely. So we really um, ask as a way to support your practice and support the uh, practice of other people here uh, to bear in mind these kind of five training principles. These are the five traditional precepts in the Buddhist tradition that are really helpful in in all of our life and particularly helpful uh, on retreat too. So I shall go through these. These all have the the form um, I undertake the training principle too. So the I undertake bit is quite important because that's saying um, I'm freely choosing this. This is something that I recognize is for my own well-being, for others' well-being. It's not something imposed. It's not something uh, that's the result of pressure. So I undertake the training principle. So the first one is to refrain from harming living beings, refrain from killing living beings. So an attitude of of non-violence, of peace, of loving-kindness really pervades this practice. And this can come up in in so many ways on retreat, from the way we respond to insects that might be around us, to uh, how we feel when we we get to the the, uh, meal and there's a big queue in front of us. You know, what kind of thoughts are we nurturing about the people just in... In front of us in the queue, you know. There's a lot of people here. How do we negotiate this space? How do we make space for each other and respect each other's space in that spirit of, of non-violence and non-harm? The second precept is to uh, undertake from refraining from taking that which is not given. So in a broad sense, this can be seen as refraining from stealing anything, um, but can also be seen a, a little bit more subtly too. So again, just being, being careful. Um, it's really good as a way of helping us all feel safe here. You, know, you leave something on your bed in a particular place, you go back and it's still there. Or you put your things in the room and nobody's uh, borrowed your shampoo because it looked interesting or... <laughs> You know, it just helps create that feeling of safety. In meditation, we are looking at and beginning to become free from this kind of push-pull kind of mechanism that can happen in life. To get to feel okay, I need to get more of this and grasp this and hold on to this, and I need to push that away, get rid of this. And these first two precepts are really working with that. So the first one, non-harming, is working, letting go of that sense of of pushing away. Not taking what is not given. Again, looking at that tendency to want to to pull into us, to grasp and to, to cling in order to feel okay. The third precept in uh, everyday life, in lay life, is to refrain from sexual misconduct. Um, on retreat, it's a little bit different. So on retreat, we can expand that to uh, refrain from any intentional sexual activity. Uh, so we can live as, as monks and nuns for the weekend. And uh, again, this really helps that 
spirit of inwardness, that sense of of a kind of contentment, lessening that sense of kind of scouring the world, looking for something interesting, looking for something exciting, looking for something else that's going to somehow make me feel okay. And for this weekend, really putting down that strategy and just being here, what's here, what's now, what's enough, and living in that simple way. And then in our, in our everyday lives, that refraining from sexual misconduct, really at heart means, means non-harming. So not being harmful, not being exploitative in our, in our relationships. The fourth precept is to refrain from uh, full speech. Uh, so to say what is true. Uh, say what's meaningful, say what's kind. And uh, we might think that's easy, in a way, on retreat, because we're silent. So there are many fewer opportunities to uh, you know, to start kind of weaving elaborate stories that aren't quite true. But one thing I think is really helpful to bear in mind on retreat is that you do not have to believe every thought that pops into your mind. <laughs> To me, this is part of the, the precept of uh, abstaining from full speech. I don't, if you've been here before or done this kind of thing before, you probably know this. If not, you may discover it soon. But all kinds of things can pop up into the mind. <laughs> things that are useful and profound and important and things that might seem trivial or you know, thoughts that might be unkind or judge, judgmental or whatever. But these happen for pretty much everyone. It's nothing special about you if they happen for you. But we don't have to believe them. We don't have to believe them. So these, all these thoughts can just come and they can just go. And uh, the fifth precept is to uh, refrain from uh, intoxicants that uh, cloud the mind, from drink and drugs that cloud the mind. Um, and again, in, uh, in everyday life, people look at that slightly differently. You have slightly different schools amongst kind of practitioners and teachers. You have the complete abstinence school and you have the people who uh, go more for you know, moderation and as long as the, the, the mind is still clear. Um, but here, while we're here, certainly again, we can really practice that precept in a very full way and uh, you know, put aside any alcohol or uh, recreational drugs. It's, it doesn't, doesn't mix with meditation. Um, having said that, if you um, are on prescription drugs, any, any prescriptions that you take, please continue to take them. It's really important. Yeah? So, um, please look after yourselves uh, in doing that. I hope those things uh, set some of the scene for the retreat. We want it to be a place where you feel safe, a place where you can explore these practices, you can explore your own experience. And uh, you know, we're here to help as best we can uh, to help you do that. Can you hear me all right at the back? Put your hand up if you can't at any time anyway.
So yeah, just to reiterate Jake's welcome, very warm welcome to you all from me. And knowing this can be a funny situation or a new situation for a lot of us, even if we've been here on retreat before, we've all come from very different places and carrying a lot of the busyness of our lives and So just to be reassuring and say that if you feel homesick or if you feel weird about being in a small space with a lot of people you don't know, then it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's quite a normal situation. You know, it is a a special situation here. It's a different situation compared to our normal daily routines and a precious container for us to look more closely at things. So I'm just going to speak a little bit about the content of what we're going to be um, going over this weekend. So what situation do we find ourselves in? No, what's going on here in our lives? How can we make sense of what our life is and what we're doing here on retreat and what we're doing in our lives? So it often helps me to start at the very fundamentals and just think, well, I'm an individual in the middle of the world And all around me there's lots of other people and other things. And there's one thing I can't get away from. And that is I'm always in a situation. I'm always in one situation or another. I'm always within the context of a certain set of conditions. So, you know, I think that's true for all of us. We feel like we're we're individuals and we're in the middle of our lives and life is happening to us. Things are happening around us. There's other people and there's other things which our life is full of and they move and they change around us and here we are and it kind of happens to us. And there's one thing which I also think is true for all of us, is that we want to make it work, don't we? We want to be, I mean, happy is a word that means a lot of things, but we somehow want to be happy. We want to feel okay about what's happening in our lives. We want to feel like we're doing okay. We want to flourish. We want contentment. We want to feel okay in ourselves. So, here we are in one situation after another after another and we want to feel okay about our life we want to feel happy we want to feel together we want to feel like we're flourishing we want to feel like it's working for us like we're okay and there's actually I want to read something there's something I always like to try and read at some stage on the retreat and I always try and fit it in somewhere it just seems very significant to me So, 
This is from a book by a professor called Jeffrey Hopkins, who was a translator for the Dalai Lama for many years. Whenever I read this, it just feels like it's really significant about understanding what our situation is here. How is it? What is our life? What is actually happening? How can we get a grasp of what is happening in our life? So he's talking about His Holiness the Dalai Lama. When he went to Europe for the first time, I was not the translator for this, but read news accounts. The Dalai Lama would arrive at a city and announce, Everybody wants happiness and doesn't want suffering. In India I had attended long lectures by him, four to six hours a day, 16 days running, on complicated philosophy and psychology. But when he came to Europe, what did he have to say? Everyone wants happiness and doesn't want suffering. He would come to the airport and announce that everyone, everyone wants happiness and doesn't want suffering. He'd have a news conference in the city and announce that everyone wants happiness and doesn't want suffering. In city after city after city, and I thought, what's wrong with him? It caused me to wonder if it was even relevant. But it is relevant. For understanding that others are so much like oneself creates a different perspective, a startlingly changed worldview. When this view is internalised, you're no longer confronting another person over a divide, but meeting someone with whom you have much in common. You begin to feel you know the person. Indeed, you begin to feel you know everyone. So isn't that the situation we're in here? Now, we've got so many different things going on in our lives. Millions of different um, things influencing us and different situations that we're in. But we're all in this shared space here. We really want to feel okay. We want to be happy. So what does that mean? Is it about being in happy situations the whole time? Is the name of the game making sure that we're only in happy situations? Is happiness dependent on the situation that we're in? That's kind of another way of asking the question. Is there a kind of happiness, a kind of well-being, which isn't so dependent on the situations that we find ourselves in? So the theme for this weekend is around the central quality called equanimity, which is a translation of the Pali word upeka. And this is a multi-dimensional quality, really, multifaceted quality, and there's lots you can say about it. But one thing that seems really significant to me about it is being steady in the midst of changing situations. Feeling a kind of confidence that can carry us through 
different things which occur in our lives, different situations we find ourselves in. So there's lots of different ways we could start to explore this. I mean, this weekend, hopefully, we will be able to support your inquiry here into what this may be like, this quality of equanimity, this capacity that's a natural part of the human being which can stay balanced in changing situations, which can have the confidence to move from one situation to another without getting knocked off your horse. I don't know if it's anything to do with it, but the word equanimity and the word equestrian have got the same first few letters. I've no idea if they've got the same root, probably not. But it's like, you know, if you get knocked off your horse, can you get back on again quickly? Maybe that's one way of thinking about equanimity. It's like something really throws us and we lose ourselves and we feel lost. What's it like to come back to ourselves? You know? So one way to explore this is to talk about the situations that we find ourselves in. And within all the the teachings that we find in the Buddhist traditions, there's a group of um, concepts, a group of four pairs, which is useful for looking at this this kind of topic. And they're sometimes called the eight worldly winds, or the eight worldly vicissitudes I think is another word that's used to describe them and it's just for, for, for us here now it's just a way to start to think about the different situations that we find ourselves in and our relationship to those situations so maybe we find ourselves in a situation of gain or maybe we find ourselves in a situation of loss This is one pair of these worldly wins. Maybe we've won the lottery, or we've got a pay rise, or we've inherited some wealth, or we have been given something very beautiful and valuable, and we're gaining something. Or maybe we've lost our job, or we've lost someone close to us, or we've lost a lot of money, or we've become sick. The second pair is praise and blame. Maybe we're in a situation of being praised. Maybe someone loves a piece of artwork we've done and it's brilliant and we feel great. Or maybe somebody hates a book we've just written and blame them for, and we get blamed for doing something bad. Fame and disrepute. There's another of the pairs. That's quite like praise and blame, isn't it? We can be famous. We can be famous or we can be infamous. We can be loved or we can be hated by people around the world. It's another kind of spectrum of situations we can find ourselves in. 
Is it possible to be okay in those changing situations? Is there some capacity within us which is going to help us meet these changing situations around us? Equanimity is something to do with that. Equanimity is also a factor of awakening, a factor of enlightenment in, in the texts. It's a very significant and deep and far-reaching quality. Another very important pair of situations that we are constantly between one pole or another of is pleasure and pain. I mean, whether it's praise and blame and gain and loss, there's pleasure and pain involved, isn't there? We're sort of, we're, we're in another part of our situation here is that we want pleasure and we don't want pain. We're in that. How stuck in that are we? How stuck are we in the situation where we have to have pleasure and we can't have pain? And is there any freedom to be found from being in that situation? And what would that be like? Do we have some experience of that already in our lives? Where pain isn't a big deal and nor is pleasure. It's just pleasure and it's just pain. Is there, is, has anybody experienced any balance in the face of intense pain? Or any settled back wisdom in the face of intense pleasure? So maybe that has kind of hinted somehow at what equanimity might be or what there might might have given us a, a starting point to start to feel into this quality of equanimity. I mean, we're going to have a, a sitting in a little while this evening and um, we'll give some instructions. And hopefully that will be a support to what I've been talking about now and what Jake's been talking about now, how to sense this quality of balance and poise in the middle of changing experience. Yeah, so perhaps rather than talk for talking on for too much longer, I'll just, you know, what do we need to learn in order to discover equanimity in our lives? How can we begin to inquire into finding a freedom which is okay? with changing situations? How can we connect with a part of ourselves which can survive anything? Which is confident that it can survive anything? Does that exist? Does that part of us exist? Does the human heart have this capacity to survive anything? Whatever situation comes and goes. Now that's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I find that interesting. What happens when you die? You know, is there something which isn't in the realm of birth and death? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash
donate.